I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Thursday, so this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy our show. This story was first published on January 12, 2014, under the headline, Portland's Vaudeville Mayor Made the City Famous and Infamous. Here we go. George L. Baker, the big bluff, hail fellow, well-met owner of Portland's Baker Theater, was flabbergasted. As he and his fellow Portland Rosarians were getting ready to march in the 1917 Rose Festival Parade, a courier had run up to him with a cryptic message. The marshal's car awaits, the messenger puffed. Hurry and get in and don't delay the parade. Why, I'm not Grand Marshal, Baker replied, puzzled. Just then, his friend Gus Moser, who was in charge of the parade that year, hustled over. George, hurry up, he said. Get in the Grand Marshal's car. You're the Grand Marshal. Since when, Baker replied. Oh, all the time, said Moser breezily. We just made you Grand Marshal, but we couldn't get you on the phone, and we forgot to tell you after the meeting, you've been Grand Marshal all along. And Moser showed Baker a copy of the parade program. Sure enough, he was listed as Grand Marshal. As Moser had clearly planned, the surprise honor had lowered Baker's shields a bit, and he allowed himself to be bundled into a massive flag-draped chauffeur-driven car. Promptly, the door was shut, and the car moved out with the parade column headed for the streets of town, with Baker stuck inside, all by himself. "'But some of you fellows ride with me!' Baker wailed, no doubt suddenly realizing he was being pranked. But nobody did and Baker had to endure the entire Rose Parade by himself and the jibes of all the other Rosarians afterwards. You fellows always want a fellow to be a good dog in a pinch, but this time it wasn't so funny, he grumbled afterward. But this wasn't just any local businessman the Rosarians were pranking. Baker was within a week of being sworn in as mayor of Portland, and the fact that the Rosarians felt comfortable enough to pull a stunt like this at his expense is a good illustration of what was different about Mayor George Luis Baker. By the time he'd finished his run as mayor of Portland, George L. Baker was probably the most famous mayor of an American city in the world. He was a big, boisterous man, a classic early 1920s showbiz man of the cigar-chomping, back-slapping type. During his candidacy, the Oregon voter had proclaimed him the, quote, world champion loud noise of the Northwest. He had big, black, expressive eyebrows, which he probably darkened with charcoal as old vaudevillians used to do, and his face seemed always set in a happy smile. Baker's life was like something out of a Horatio Alger novel. Born to a poor family in the Dalles, he dropped out of school when he was nine to shine shoes and deliver papers in San Francisco to help support the family after they had moved to that city. He soon found a steadier job in a vaudeville theater there, and with that, he'd found his life's calling. A gifted impresario, he quickly worked his way up through the ranks, and when he moved with his family to Portland, he soon was working at Cordray's Theater at 3rd and Yamhill Streets, tending the animals there. It was a low-ranking position, but it was a foot in the door. 
One thing led to another, and by 1901, young George was the proud owner of his own theater, Baker Theater, and was building a vaudeville stock troupe with a nationwide reputation. Soon after that, he was elected to the city council, where he became the main opponent of then-Mayor Harry Lane's frequent anti-vice initiatives. Baker thought that vice crusades, anti-prostitution and anti-gambling initiatives mostly, would succeed only in scattering the bordellos and gambling dens all over the city rather than leaving them tucked away neatly in the North End where they could be watched. History shortly thereafter proved him right about that, by the way. Well, finally, in 1917, Baker threw his straw pork pie in the ring for mayor. But it was a long shot. He was up against one of the most popular politicians of the day, union man Will Daly. Luckily for Baker, Oregonian publisher Henry Piddock hated Daly, and in one of the more remarkable actions in the history of that otherwise exemplary newspaper, he had a staff member burgle Daly's home and look through his papers. The burglar found a partially filled-out application for the American Socialist Party there, and after Piddock published this ill-gotten information, Baker pulled ahead and won by a 1% margin. As a mayor, Baker was a wonder. He could be wildly inappropriate in the most adorable way, as in the time he almost caused an international incident by taking advantage of the reverent silence at France's Tomb of the Unknown Soldier to launch into a political stump speech or when he welcomed international opera star Mary Garden with a big publicly bestowed kiss. Historian Carl Kluster once quipped that part of his political legacy was, quote, public busing. He personally saw Oregon soldiers off at the railroad station with tears in his eyes, bellowing, God bless you boys, as they pulled out. He was a tireless and persistent booster of his city. The vast majority of Portland residents loved him. But there was a dark side to Baker, too. Every time trouble started brewing between workers and their employers, he would be found reliably on the boss's side, and he'd bring every resource at his disposal, including, as he did in 1922 dock strikes, swarms of mayor's secret police and Portland vigilance police officers to break up strikers. Claiming a violent revolution was imminent, he more or less suspended the U.S. Constitution for a mass arrest of all known Union activists trying, successfully as it turned out, to break the power of the radical international workers of the world, that would be the IWW, better known as the Wobblies, in Portland. His patriotic enthusiasm, forged in the First World War and tempered like lethal steel in the Red Scare era afterward, made him almost a poster boy for the 100% Americanism movement that brought the Ku Klux Klan to Oregon. In fact, there's some reason to suspect that he may have been a member of the Klan. He was an inveterate joiner of fraternal societies and organizations, from the Shriners to the Elks. Certainly he accepted and encouraged the Klan's support. Baker is the mayor who appears in a famous photograph published in the Portland Evening Telegram in 1923 of city officials posing with two robed and hooded Ku Klux Klan officials. And then there were the constant rumors of corruption in City Hall. The liquor tippling and trading, the payoffs by vice operators, the bribes, the kickbacks. It wasn't entirely clear that the corruption went all the way to the top, but at the very least some of Baker's lieutenants showed great moral flexibility. Baker served as Portland's mayor for 16 solid years. But after 1924, Baker did start losing popularity as the corruption of his administration started rubbing off on him. 
It didn't help that after hearing rumors that he didn't plan to run for re-election for financial reasons, the president of the Electricity and Streetcar Monopoly passed a kitty to raise a slush fund for him, which the donors used to pay off his mortgage. In 1932, a recall petition was on the ballot. It accused Baker of, quote, failure to enforce the laws against various social evils, and thereby giving aid and comfort to the denizens of the underworld and to official graft and corruption connected therewith. Well, Baker survived the recall attempt, but 47% of Portland voters were now on the record as wanting him out. A few months later, perhaps taking the hint, he announced that he would not run for re-election. Baker died in 1941 at his home in the Tides, a resort that he owned at Seaside. And he's still remembered today with a little help from the golden light of nostalgia as one of Portland's most beloved and colorful mayors ever. But with an eye on the corruption, crypto-authoritarianism, and xenophobia that marked his time in office, he's frequently also cited as one of the worst mayors in the city's history. Key sources in this story have included works by Carl Kluster, E. Kimbark McCall, Jewel Lansing, and the archives of the Portland Morning Oregonian. 1917 and 1941. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. What you've been listening to is one of more than 550 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulplet Productions, pulp-lit.com, a boutique publishing house owned and operated by yours truly, specializing in audiobook and multimedia editions of the work of the classic pre-war pulp writers. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license type CC by SA 4.0, which basically means you can do anything with the content you like, so long as you A, give me credit for it, and B, whatever you make is also released under a Creative Commons license. But... If you need a waiver to either A or B, hit me up, fj at offbeatoregon.com. I've never said no yet to a request for a waiver of one of those conditions. They're generally there just to prevent me from accidentally authorizing the reuse of something I don't actually control the rights to. A good example might be a photograph used by special permission of the rights holder. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every single weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.